my dad always used to say was one of his favorite, you know, sayings of many. He always said, it's good to know the Lord. And the older that I get and the more that I experience life and see life, I realize, my goodness, it is good to know the Lord. It is good to know the Lord. That's what Paul said. He said, you know, it's my aim. It's just the one thing I'm focused on in life is to know him and the power of his resurrection. And I just, today, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe you're kind of, a little strung out from the holidays, maybe had too much football or turkey or who knows what might have been happening for you. But y'all, it's good to know the Lord. Refocus on knowing him. That's the thing, man. It's all about knowing him. Praise God. Well, last week, if you weren't here, I just very much encourage you to go and listen to or watch that lesson lesson, message, whatever it was, that service, um, you can do that through our website, goodnewsaugusta.com, or if there's podcasts, there's lots of ways the bulletin tells you how, but um, pastor shared about caring for one another and how we can care for one another. He introduced the ministry council, everybody that was here, there were a couple of of ministry council representatives who weren't here, um, and one, Arlene and Justin, where's Justin? Are you back there somewhere? Justin's in in the office, but that's Justin. Arlene, just right, wave your hand. There's Arlene and Justin, and then the other ones that weren't here. I think these are the only ones who weren't here, right? Is oh, and Georgette. Georgette, are you in here? I don't see her. No, Georgette was here. She came up, I think. Anyway, and then the other ones are, are Grayson and Katerina, and I think y'all know who they are. Lord knows. Okay, um, but anyway, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go and uh, do what? Jose and Vanessa, were y'all here last week? They were here. Okay, let's don't start this. We are going to really, we're going to go through it all. I remember them being up here. But Jose, he's got that hat. How can you, I know. The hat just makes you want to talk about him, right? Yeah, she had the Tom Brady jersey. Okay, that's why you wanted to bring that up again. All right. Do we need to send you out? Okay, excuse me. (laughs) I know probably every week man wants to send me out, but he doesn't. Thank you. It's good to know the Lord. So let's open our Bibles over to Romans 12. And um, today is going to be a good transition into what the Lord is going to share with us through the Christmas season. And today, I think, um, is just a, uh, for, it's a good reminder of some things in our lives. But it's also a good, um, you know, um, for some of you, it might be news. And so whatever it is, this is, this is what life's about. So it's going to be helpful to you. Um, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And we'll just read the first verse there. It says, I beseech you, therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to God which is your reasonable service now um, last week one of the things that um, Matt was sharing was from Romans 12 Romans 12 is an awesome awesome passage I'm just telling you um you know, if you get bored with me, you can just read that today and you'll get, you know, you can go home and said, you got something good. So, um, I'll try and I wore my pink shoes so you wouldn't get bored with me. <laughs> okay. never mind. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, when you read this, when I was reading this recently, something jumped out at me that I had never seen before. And I have seen this verse a lot, but something jumped out at me that I'd never seen before. And it's the word brethren. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And I bring that up. That's like brothers, you know, brothers and also 
you know, sisters, brothers and sisters. I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters. And it occurred to me when I was reading this that Paul, in the 12th chapter of Romans, was writing to fellow believers. He was not writing to the lost people. This isn't a message to the lost, a proclamation to lost people that are far from God, that don't know God, that haven't been born again and received Jesus, however you want to say it. He's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's saying to them that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So it seems to be by the fact that he's doing this, calling attention to this, um, you know, with his brothers and sisters in Christ, it seems to be that there is something that we can do beyond just being saved. There's something that we're admonished and challenged to do beyond just receiving Jesus, being saved, being born again, again, however you want to say that, that there's, there's something that comes after that. There's, there's participation beyond that. There are steps we can take that go beyond that. And I, I, it's sad, but I, I feel like we've made such an emphasis on praying a prayer, answering an invitation, coming up front, you know, repenting, uh, being born again, which is awesome. But it doesn't end there. It's not like, okay, across the line and now here, let me sit. No, there's more in store. And there, you really, what you don't recognize oftentimes is that that is not the finish line. It's actually the starting line. Being born again is like the starting line. It's when you suddenly get to do and, and, and suddenly you now have the ability and, and this whole new world opens up for you. And part of participating in this whole new world, which we can call the kingdom of God, it's your being born again is your entry into the kingdom. And one way, one thing that we get to do in the kingdom of God is we get to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. You've heard me talk about this many times. See, here's the thing. When Jesus was on the earth, God had a body on the earth that he could use. It was the body of Jesus. He could use that. And wherever Jesus went, God went. Because God lived in him. And wherever he went, he manifested the kingdom of God. He did the will of God. He showed people who God was. Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the express image of God. So wherever Jesus went, you could see God. To the point that Jesus even said to people, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. So this is who Jesus was and what he did. That was a body that God could use. But when Jesus ascended on high, that body left the earth. He ascended, went up in the air somewhere. <laughs> in his physical body, he left the earth. And that physical body is no longer on the earth. But yet, the New Testament teaches us that together, we are the body of Christ. And so now God has a body again. And and here Paul's telling us God wants to use these bodies in the same way that he used the body of Jesus. He wants to use these bodies. But in order for him to use these bodies, we have to present them to him to be used. Again, 
He's not saying call on the name of the Lord and be saved. No, God comes in us when we're born again. We become a new creation. The Bible's plain. When you call on the name of the Lord, you're saved, you're born again. The inside of you becomes a new creation. You become a new person. But you still have a body. And this body then needs to be presented to God as a living sacrifice. Now, um, you know, there are religions and belief systems where they think we need to present bodies as dead sacrifices. Well, that's demonic. That ain't right. But we are to present these bodies as a living sacrifice, which means that God can use these bodies, that God has his way in these bodies. Another, another way that Paul expressed this concept was, he said, when you were lost, when you were without Christ, you were a slave to sin. Romans 4, 5, and 6 talks about this, about us being slaves to sin. But now we are to be slaves to righteousness. Now here's the difference between being a slave to sin and a slave to righteousness is when you're a slave to sin, you don't get a choice. Sin has its way. Sin tells you what to do. Sin rules you. And you are under the dominion of sin. But you get to choose to be a slave of righteousness. It's something you enter in by your own free will. And so that's what he's talking about in a different way. Being a slave of righteousness, you present yourself to God. And, and, and just in very plain terms, this is what it's like. It's you coming before God and saying, look, you've saved me. You gave Jesus for me. The least I can do, because it says this is our reasonable service. The least I can do is let you use my body for the rest of the time on this earth that I have. You can use my body. And, and I'm just saying to you, it would be a good practice in your life to present your body to God on a regular basis, maybe every morning. We just sang a song, I Surrender All. Part of the idea of what I'm singing when I'm singing I Surrender All is, hey, I'm giving you something you need in this earth. I'm giving you a body you can work through. I'll be somebody that can, you can, you can use me. And so you can present your body to God. You can just simply come. You know, it's easy to do in the mornings. You can just say to the Lord something like, Father, I just present myself to you today as a living sacrifice. Use me how you see fit. You can speak through me. You can take me where I need to go. You can, I'll, I'll do with my hands. I'll lay hands on the sick if you need. I'll, I'll be an encouragement to people. I'll, I'll do whatever you, you need me to do. Like Frank mentioned earlier, I'll be a... I'll pray for people, whatever that you need me to do. Like Matt talked about, I'll be generous. I am a living sacrifice. Just show me what to do and give me the ability to do it and I will do it. I'm just, whatever you say, not my will, but your will be done. It's just that, that simple. It's just very, you know, you don't have to have, understand a whole lot of theology. Just very simple, presenting yourself to God. This should be a continual part of your life. We see Jesus do it in the Garden of Gethsemane where he said, not my will, but your will be done. This is part of our life as believers. Again, he's writing this to his brothers, to his sisters. He's writing it to people like us. 
not to the lost. And so for, if he's saying this to them, surely we need to say it in this day that we present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Amen? All right, not anything probably you haven't heard, but just reminding you, this is just reasonable for you to do this. And sometimes it's easy to get away from it. Now, this is really part of being a disciple. A disciple is a learner, a follower, one who, you know, a really good word to kind of encapsulate what a disciple is, is the word apprentice. One who follows so they can learn how to do what the master does. So they can be just like the master. And Jesus is our master. And if we're his disciples, we're his followers, we should be learning from him how to do what he did. And he did a great job of being a living sacrifice. He, I mean, you got to look at Jesus and say, man, that guy was a living sacrifice. So you could, you could say that. All right, now let's go on to verse 2. And this is all part of the same idea. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is all part of something he's saying to his brother's his sisters, he's saying to them, hey, don't be conformed to this world. And the fact that he wrote this to his brothers, his sisters, the fact that he said this to them indicates to me that believers, even disciples, even followers of Christ, even people like yourselves that would come out to church on a rainy, windy day when it's a holiday weekend, people like you and me, that it is possible for us to be conformed to this world. And I'm sure if we went around, we could get a testimony (laughs) of people saying, yeah, I know all about that, of being conformed to this world. Now, the word word conformed is, it's, you know, conformed. It's, it's, the word form is about fashioning. There's this fashioning, this creating, this making of something. And, and it means that we are The word conform means to be fashioned with something. It means to be made something. Our son-in-law, Matt, um, he's been in school the last year while he's been with us. And one of the things that he does is he does a lot of design work. He's learning to do seven different programs that do all kinds of design. And, And so he works a lot with 3D printers. And he'll walk in with some kind of strange object. And and I'll be like, what is that? And like the other day, he brought a Millennium Falcon. Yes, a little tiny one that he had made. He said it took 12 hours to print in the 3D printer. But he made it for a house. He was building a house. He was making a 3D model of a house. And he thought it would be cool if in the garage of that house, there was a miniature Millennium Falcon. And so he had that to go and he brings it in. And I'm thinking, man, that took 12 hours. But it wasn't just 12 hours. It was a whole lot of stuff. It was a pattern. And there were all of, you know, every little part, every little smidge of it had to be designed and fashioned. And then it was formed from this pattern. He, he found it online. He didn't make it himself. <laughs> he found this, pa- this pattern. And so then from there, he could fashion and form this little tiny. And it looked just like it. It was, an, it was amazing. Maybe he'll make you one if you want one. But uh, don't tell him I said that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he, 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 he fashioned this Millennium Falcon. Well, in the same way, God fashioned man when he created man. And he fashioned and he formed him 
to be in his own image, in his own likeness. If God had had a 3D printer, he could have printed us, but he didn't trust it to a printer. He made us with his own hands. You're his handiwork, and he made us. And he took some dirt, and he formed us. Pretty awesome, right? He made us in his image and his likeness. And I'm telling you, we were spectacular. Never had anyone ever seen anything like us, except when they looked at God himself. In fact, the Bible says the angels looked at us and said, who is this? What has God done now? Because we were so spectacular. Well, until the third chapter of Genesis. And that's where we see that presenting yourself as a living sacrifice is a choice. And that's where we see where being a slave of righteousness is a choice. Because in the third chapter of Genesis, that beautiful, spectacular image of who we were was shattered. Terribly marred and disfigured. Oh my goodness, what a mess we were. Because of the fall of man. Because of the rebellion of Adam. We then fell. We call it the fall, but I don't think the word fall really comes anywhere near describing what happened to us. What a terrible mess. And because all of earth was under the dominion of man at that point, not only did we fall, but all of earth fell. And we call it falling under the curse. What curse is it? The curse of sin and death. So the whole world fell under this curse. And we, every person ever born from Adam that was born of Adam, so that includes everybody but Jesus, every person born of Adam was born in this terribly misfigured, distorted, shattered, broken form. And that is the form of this world. And that is the form that this world wants you to conform to. That's the pattern of this world. And that's what we were all born in. And the world does everything that it can to keep you in that broken, marred, shattered state. And that's what the world's all about. And everything that we know and everything that we've experienced apart from God is full of and reeks of that sin and death. And, it, and, it, and we're just trapped in that broken mess. And honestly, y'all, I'm just telling you, we know so little about what God originally, originally intended for us. We know so little about the real life that he has for us. I'm telling you, we just know so little for it because of it. Because all we know is the sin and death, the curse. And we're just surrounded by it. And it's, it's just so, it's so bizarre in some ways. The, Matt was talking about the money we spend, you know, trying to enjoy life or make life something. And in some moments, I get just little glimpses of how ridiculous we are. 
that we give all of our life's energy to getting something so that we can create this little space somewhere of comfort, of beauty, of polishing up something so we can, you know, like whether it's our home or or a car or even, you know, even altering our body surgically or whatever that we might be doing, (laughs) all addressing ourselves, all this attention we give to dealing with all this brokenness. And and it's nothing more than if you just went outside and got a piece of gravel and just, you know, washed it off and, and brushed it and carried it around and like... You know what I mean? I mean, like, that's that's like every bit of your life's energy is no more than just presenting some little, as far as the world's way of doing things. There's a, it's just nothingness in comparison to the true beauty and the true value of who God can make us. But you can't, you can't achieve any of that through the world. And so being conformed to the world is, I'm just telling you, if you haven't realized it, the world's all about deceiving people. It's just the whole world lies in darkness. We're under the sway of the evil one. And it's just deception because the only real beauty is found in him. And the only true joy and love and peace and satisfaction comes from knowing him and letting him use our lives and letting him, uh, letting him fill us up with himself so that we are conformed to his image and likeness. And that's where real life begins. And that's what God has for all of us. That's it. But you can live and be born again and die and go to heaven and miss on this earth expressing his image knowing the fullness of life that he has for you you can miss it and I I know that because he was writing to brethren so they were missing it they were conformed to this world but he was saying don't be conformed to this world Don't give in to the pressure of being in that fallen pattern that you were born in. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The strife and the confusion and the one-upmanship and I got to get ahead and I got to be somebody and I got to make myself somebody and you better know I'm somebody. That's the world. I got to get everything I can because that will express how awesome I am. Look at me. That's the world. That's the world. And it's just, it's, it's such a low nothingness in comparison to the true riches and the true beauty that we have available in Christ Jesus. Now, the Bible says that we can be transformed. We can be changed. So we were born in that pattern and we're born again. And when we're born again, our insides, our real, the real us, our spirit is changed. We become a new creation. But it is not yet expressed in this outer man in our bodies or even in our minds. We can still, as new creations in Christ, we can still live conformed to this world. But he's saying to us, guys, don't continue to live that way. Instead, be transformed 
Now that word transformed, you've probably heard this, is a, is a word, the same Greek word we get the word metamorphosis from. And we all learned in, you know, life science in the seventh grade that metamorphosis is what happens when the little caterpillar forms a cocoon and then that glorious day comes out as a big butterfly. That's the metamorphosis. What happened? Well, that butterfly was inside of that caterpillar the whole time. That little terrible, ugly, fuzzy worm that makes you go eek when it's crawling, you know, across your headboard. <laughs> you won't get it, get it, get it now. Matt, Matt, get it now. Thank you for all the worms you get and all the other things. Many things. We had not long ago, we had a snake in the house. But Matt Stevens got it. He beat you to it. Okay. Um, yeah, that was gross. But, you know, inside a snake, there is not a, cat, is, is not a, is not a butterfly. And just, just so you know, get rid of the snakes. Caterpillars, you can hang on. But there's, no, there's nothing good coming out of the snake. But anyway, inside that caterpillar is this butterfly. Well, that's such a great image. I really believe, you know, in, in the kids' ministry, they have God's animal. This is the only animal that the kids should ever see. You know, every, this part of their curriculum, what they used to, I don't know if they still do it. They used to have God's animal, you know, his animal, the giraffe, God's animal, the elephant, God's animal, the rabbit. And you come up with some biblical concept about these. Well, God's animal, the caterpillar. Because inside that caterpillar is a butterfly. And when you are born again, you are still an ugly caterpillar, but inside of you is now a beautiful butterfly. But nobody knows it unless you are transformed, unless you undergo the metamorphosis. I'm going to tell y'all one of the biggest problems today we have in the whole earth is that we have a whole lot of Christian caterpillars. And we have churches that are full of Christian caterpillars. And we carry Bibles and we talk our Christianese and we, you know, tell people what you ought to do and we use the name of the Lord in various ways and we go throughout the earth as caterpillars. But the Bible says that the whole earth, all of creation is yearning and crying out to see the revelation of the sons of God. They want to see the butterflies. They do. And, and one of the biggest obstacles we have in bringing people into the kingdom is they want to see God. They want to see God. They want to, they want to believe that God can change them. And so they look at us and say, well, you're just like me. Why do I want to go through all of that if there's no change? People are longing for change. But they need to see the change. They need to see transformation. Not just hear about it. They need to see it. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 tells us when the Holy Spirit comes Upon us. In other words, when he no longer is just down in here, but he comes up on us, he gives us the power to be witnesses. What is a witness? Somebody who's got some evidence. 
somebody who can show something. Right? If you're called as a witness, you got some evidence pertaining to the case. And this world is looking for some evidence that God is real. And I'm going to tell you, I don't, you know, I don't know how each of you came to faith. I mean, I know a lot of you and your stories. Many of you were like me. You were raised in the faith. So it wasn't like ever like one big moment where suddenly the dark became light and you saw when you called on the name of the Lord. It was kind of maybe something you were sort of raised already believing. But I, I'm, I'm telling you, when you're dealing with people who have no idea of God, if you're dealing with people who, who don't know him and haven't been raised, they're not like you and been like many of you and been raised in a Christian home, for you to try to talk them into being a Christian just by, you know, um, some platitudes and, you know, some warm hugs and, and, you know, a little admonition here and there. Y'all, people need some evidence. And, 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 and I had a really sad moment not long ago when I was talking to a young man who'd been raised in church, who had gone to Christian schools. And now he's a young man, he's in his 20s. And he said to me, just with complete honesty, I just loved his honesty. He looked at me and he said, I have to say, if God is real, I've never seen any evidence of him. It stunned me. And, you know, there was part of me that just wanted to jump on him and say, what do you mean? And then the other side of me was like, wow. I think that's actually on me. I think that's on us. That we haven't shown you any evidence that there is really a God. I'm going to tell you today, I don't believe in God because of the book. I believe in God because I've seen him. Because I know him. Because he's actually real. And he's made himself real to me. And I have seen him in people like you. I've seen him take you from dark to light. I've seen him take you from living under that curse of sin and delivering you and bringing you out. I saw, I saw that, in, I've seen that in Larry, I ministered to earlier. I've seen it in, in coming out of darkness. There's evidence that there is God. There is something happened that's happened here that, that man didn't do. Y'all, we got we gotta we gotta do this because the world demands that we do this. And God is longing for the precious fruit of the earth. And the the earth, the creation is longing to see us manifest God. It's on us. You're really rethinking that getting out of bed this morning right now, aren't you? <laughs> why, why was I so eager to come over here today? Okay. Well, let me try to help you some more. Be transformed. Now, many of us, Matt mentions this on a regular basis. How many of you like change and nobody in here raises their hand but me? Because just by nature, I actually really like change. I like to change it up, get it happening here and there. In fact, too much. I'll just be honest with you. I'm painting our bedroom. How many samples did Susie buy to decide what color the bedroom wall should be? Shh. We ain't even going there. But 12 samples. 
That's good, right? You would think. And I had decided, but now I'm kind of iffy again. <laughs> Painted half the room. I'm kind of iffy again. But, yeah, there's, there's a thing called wishy-washy, and I may, I may dabble in that a little. But anyway, um, in general, people resist change. But I'm telling you, we should embrace change. We are the change people. That's who we are. We should be going for change. You know, we're standing here, holidays, end of the year. It's a good time to sort of reflect back. Just think about yourself. I encourage you, strongly encourage you to do this, to look back at your life and yourself a year ago. Are you any different today? If you can't identify how you're different, this message is for you today. You should be changing for the better because God's power as it is released upon us brings transformation. You should have another little wing peeking out. A tentacle. (laughs) I see it. I see that tentacle. We should be being changed There should be transformation. That's a goal in our life. We should open, not resist it. We should be open to God's power to change us. And and I'm going to say this. Um, Frank was talking about making disciples. We've talked a lot the last months about making disciples. Y'all, so much of making disciples is helping people through this transformation process. But if we ourselves have not undergone it and are not currently undergoing it, it's very difficult to help someone else come into something that you're not in. But this is a huge part of making disciples, is helping people to change, to be transformed, to let that inner being that they are, this newly created being, to let it out and to let their life no longer be conformed to the course of this world. But for transformation to come so that the image of God will be born so that they can see and and see God and so they can reflect God to this world and represent him wherever they go. So it's just plain and simple. This time next year, we should look more like Jesus. We should talk more like him. When people see us, they should say, hey, I I see more Jesus. Not, oh, Susie's doing better. She looks like she's, you know, getting younger. She looks like she's prospering. She looks like she's blah, 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 blah. In the sense of just something that the world would would want me to change to. I'm talking about being conformed to his image. You know, I I, I really believe this. I was having a talk with um, um, Jim Newton, our Australian, Australian partner. I was having a, a talk with him one night. Jim is so much of a traditionalist. He's 70 now. And um, he's so traditional. And I, I just feel like the, the whole reason God has me in his life is just to irritate him. Honestly. Because every time we're together, I just feel like that's what I'm just doing in his life. It's like challenging him. But for some reason, I have this great favor with him and he loves it. I get away with so much with him. But I remember I was talking to Jim and I said, Jim... If the us of us, you know, if we, the 10-year-old us, if the, let me say how to say it. If the us from 10 years ago could meet the us from today, the us of 10 years ago would be so offended with us. Would be so offended. And I'm telling you, the us 
the me of, 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 of some years ago would be really, really having a problem with me wearing these shoes today. So silly. Because I came from a tradition where you got to dress your best. We were trained. The minister has to be the best dressed person in the room. I almost wore flannel today just because I really like flannel, but I figured it would be too hot. But that's what I wanted to wear. But if I was up here, I would just think how the, the 10, you know, the 10, 15, 20 year ago me, man, would be so offended with that. And I mean, that's a kind of a silly thing, but there's just so much stuff in our lives that we used to hold near and dear that is actually being conformed to the world. And in the body of Christ, we have embraced that same kind of thinking. What we've done is we've taken the values of the world and brought them over here. And now we just supposedly use faith in God, confession of the word, you know, the power of God. We use that just to get the same stuff that the world wants. But it's the same stuff. Y'all, we're not called to the same stuff. We're called to a whole new life. A whole new way of being. Not just doing the world's thing, but maybe doing it in a Christian way. It's not what we're called to. And it's taken me a long time to realize that. Do I need to come do that to y'all? Okay. It's taken me a long time to like get that, but helping people undergo this transformation is just a huge part of making disciples. Now the transformation, it tells us the transformation happens when, how does this transformation happen? It happens by the renewing of our minds. Seems that our spirit in our body, the gateway between the two is our mind. The, 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 the soul is, is what is between our, our newly recreated spirit and this world around us. And so that soul has to change. Our thoughts have to change. They, we really have to get a whole new way of thinking. Now, this is kind of rhetoric in the world. Oh, they talk about change your thinking, blah, 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 blah. I'm talking about legit, real change in your thinking. I'm talking about changing how you think. Renewing our minds. And so that the way you think about things is different. And I'm, this is a big challenge for all of us today. We have to change the way we think. We think a lot more like the world than what we give, you know, than we will admit or let on to. We really do. We're influenced by the world. It's what surrounds us. And we're supposed to be changed. Jesus did not think like the people around him. He didn't think like the world of his day. He didn't think like the church of his day. Do y'all remember the woman caught in the act of adultery? They gathered up. What were they going to do? They had in their hands stones. And what did Jesus do? He interrupted that. He had a new thought. He said, hey, why don't we start here? Why don't we have the first stone will be thrown by the one who hasn't sinned? That's a new thought. And the Bible says they all dropped their stones and ran off. He interrupted that. He thought in a different way than even the church people. 
Jesus constantly challenged. I remember the woman who'd been bent over for 18 years came to church on Sunday and Jesus healed her and everybody got mad. Well, you can't do that on the Sabbath. How dare you? Jesus like, what? We can't do the Lord's work on the Sabbath? We can't heal the sick? See, see how twisted we get? Somehow or another, it's the will of God for people to be sick another day so it can serve some rule. Y'all, we got the same kind of crazy rules. We got the same kind of mixed up thinking. We live according to the world, but then we, you know, we go to church on Sunday. We got to think different, y'all. We got to think in a whole different way. Our lives should not be like the world. We shouldn't talk like the world. You know, sickness is a, good, is a good thing. The world has a way of thinking about sickness. Here's what you should think of when it comes to sickness. By his stripes, I was healed. That's your starting point for sickness. Now, whatever else comes along, all falls under that. It doesn't fall under, oh my goodness, is this part of the generational curse? What am I going to do? No, by his stripes... I was healed. I'm no longer under any curse. Whatever it might be. We have to change our thinking. Here's, and where it comes to money. Money's a really big, big, big place. That's why we make sure we talk about it every Sunday. Because mammon is the Lord of this world. And we have to confront that on a regular basis. Because you talk about conforming in this world. Money is where they really try to push you to conform. Because they love your money and they want it. And that's, that's the basis of so much evil in this world, the Bible says. So we have to confront that all the time. That's why we talk about money every service. We have to. Because we have to remind you, that's not what we're doing. We have to have a new way of thinking. But see here, there are all these things that the world lays out. There's the wisdom of this age. What do you do with money? Well, you save your money. I'm not talking about the spend money. I'm talking about saving money so that you can retire and so that you can, you know, have this money in your old age. But what if the Lord tells you to give your retirement? What if the Lord tells you to give more beyond what you were planning to give? What if the Lord, I told you about last week, where the Lord spoke to a couple in our church to send another couple in our church on a cruise. What if the Lord tells you to do that? Well, what about my retirement? That wouldn't be wisdom. What if the Lord tells you to live on 30% of your income and send 70% to, to fund missionaries who are reaching the unreached peoples of the world? What, what would you do then? I know a couple did that. I know a couple that Lord spoke to them and said, I want you to live on 30% of your income and send 70% to missionaries. They were a young couple. How are you going to save for a down payment on a house? See, here, here's where the, the wisdom of this age and the wisdom of God departs because the wisdom of God is my God is the source of my supply. So much so that I can trust in him to supply all of my need. And if I will follow what he says for me to do it, I'll never lack. See, it's a very different way of thinking People will say, you're foolish to do certain things. But you've got to follow him. You've got you to plan your career according, 
according to the renewed mind, not according to this world. The plan of God isn't to help you get a better job. That's not what God's interested in. God's interested in you being in the place that he has appointed for you where you can be the most effective for the kingdom, period. Now, he will supply your needs, but it's not about you getting the best job. That People look at you and go, man, you got a good job. Look at you. It's about you being in a position where he can lavish his love through you and you being obedient to that. I mean, when Matt and I started this church, we took all the money we had, the money we had for a down payment on a house. We sold the lot where we were about to build the house. We sold it all and we started the church. And then now, over the course of the church, do you think we earn from the church anywhere near what we would earn if we had devoted the last 24 years to being in the world? No. I mean, I'm in a family where people make a lot of money. I come from a family where they made a lot of money. And there's days I think, man, I'm as smart as they are. I'm as motivated as they are. I'm as amb- Or what? Smarter? He said it. I'm just picking on my brother. I'm just telling you. But it's more important to be obedient to God. It's more important to be obedient to God. So therefore, I've enjoyed, I look at my life and I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I didn't just choose to go my own way. Have I been perfect? No. But there's been a few things that, man, that was really, thank God I went that way. Now, let me tell you, when it comes to, I'm I'm just going to go on and on. I'm going to tell you about your thinking. I'm going to tell you where you really have to challenge your thinking is where it comes to family. Because, see, we, all we do with family is what's been done to us. I mean, Christina's talking about this situation with Al and his brother. That's how this world is. You break trust, that's it, we're done. You say something I don't like, well, you know, next year I may invite you to Thanksgiving, but we are going to keep it right up here. We are not going to have real fellowship and community. We got to break through all that stuff. We got to break through the course of this world. We got to break through the fashioning and the forming that's that we've been raised in, and we have to be reformed, transformed. We got to change our thinking. We have to let me let me tell you. We have to learn to come in low. And in this world, you don't come in low. In this world, you come in high and mighty. You have, you, you put on your best stuff, you, you know, you wash your car, polish it up, you come in, you, 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 don't, you don't say ain't, you know, you use your best language, you talk about your best vacation, you, you show only your best photos on social media, you know, you doctor them up and you use all the filters and you carve some weight off and all, you know. So whether it's Thanksgiving, but you look 20 pounds lighter, I don't know how she did it. You, you do all these things. This is how the world is. You come in high. And somehow or another, in our minds, this is being like, this is it. This is what we should do. Y'all, that ain't what we should do. We should come in low. Jesus made himself of no reputation. 
Jesus had compassion. That means he stooped low. He came in low. Y'all, if we came in low, we'd be irresistible. If we were strong and came in low. Do y'all know what I mean? If we didn't approach people from up here, but we came in as a servant. If we were the first to say, hey, I'll wash your feet. That's what Jesus did. You see how different he is than this world? How does the master, how does the king of kings wash the feet of the lowly? That's who, that's the guy we're following. That's my man. He's, he's the one. That's, that's the one we're aiming to be like. That we could be like him. That we could come in, that we could be the ones to forgive. When there's just absolutely no reason to forgive, except that's what we do. Jesus at the cross. Talk about unjustly (laughs) accused. Talk about someone who was being done wrong. Ain't nobody ever been done wrong like that. And he looked around and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It's just one of the kind of most interesting little things in the New Testament is, is, is when they came when Judas betrayed him and the soldiers came to get Jesus and Peter jumped up to do what you would do according to the course of this world. He grabs the sword because he's going to be the big hero. He's going to defend Jesus. And he takes off the ear of Malchus, the guy who was coming to get Jesus. And Jesus rebuked Peter and gave Malchus back his ear. That's the guy that we're following. And if you keep reading in Romans 12, which I encourage you to do. Some of you may have read it because I was getting to be too much for you. But maybe you've come across the very last scripture. Because the very last scripture says, y'all, look look in your Bible. Who's got a Bible? Read me the last verse. I know what it says. I just want you to read it. The last verse of Romans 12. Grayson mentioned it earlier. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. New living, do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Y'all, that is not the course of this world. The course of this world is if they bomb you, you bomb them back with a bigger bomb. The strength of this world, we've got to have the biggest bomb. That makes us the king of the universe. Isn't it? Whatever it is, we got to one-up it and make it worse. You do wrong to me, I'm going to do wrong to you twice. And I'm going to bring my big brother and he's going to help me. Isn't this the world? And that's the way we think. Whereas in the kingdom, evil, we respond to evil with good. And somehow or another, by responding to evil with good, we overcome. We overcome with good. 
Doing good is what enables us to overcome, to conquer. We conquer by doing good. Jesus conquered by laying down his life for his enemies. This is why he can say, bless those who persecute you. Because he did it. That's why he could legitimately legitimately make disciples. Because he actually did it. We have to do the word. And when we do what he said. When we do what he said. We'll be like him. We let him out. We let that butterfly fly. And the world will see him. You do something like that and people are like, wow, what is that about? When you overcome evil with good. They're just like, man. And sometimes they just think you're crazy. They just think you're totally crazy. I've had people, Matt had a shouting match. A guy was just shouting and shouting and shouting at Matt. And Matt shouted back. Then Matt hung up on him. This is a long, long time ago. But I know about it. That's why I'm sharing it today. And uh, then in a little while, Matt thought, man, that was, that was not, that was, that was evil for evil. And so Matt, he did what he was convicted to do. He came in low and he said, man, I really, really, really goofed up. I should not have done that. I'm sorry. He just laid himself low to a person you would never lay yourself low to. But he did. And the person laughed at him and mocked him. Did everything but spit on him. But you know what? He did the right thing and he overcame that evil with good. It's not what we're looking for from the person. We're looking to be like him, no matter what the response is that we get. And it freed Matt from the whole situation so he doesn't have to carry that around in his life. He doesn't have to feel awkward the next time he sees the guy. The guy can feel awkward. I don't want to have to feel awkward around anybody. Romans 12 also says, as much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all people. Boy, that's what we should have read last Sunday before you went to dinner with the kin folks. As much as it depends on you, you live peaceably. But you don't know what they did. Really? Did they beat you? Did they put a crown of thorns on your head? Did they poke you with a spear in the side and all your blood ran out? Is that what they did? Did they mock you and, and, and throw lots for your, for your clothes? Is that what they did to you? Because the guy that happened to said, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. See, this is the way we have to think. This is the way we think when our thinking is transformed. When we see people, we see the value in people. We don't see the wrong in people. We see the potential in people. We don't see the shortcomings. We don't see the failures. We don't see how they've missed it. We don't see how they're warped and how they're faulted. We see this is a person that God made and he intends for them to be in his image and in his likeness. And I'm going to, I'm going to see that. I'm going to see the glimmer of his image in them. That's what I'm looking for. And any little thing I can latch hold of and pull up and pull out, that's my job. To champion any glimmer of Jesus in them. Anything I can find, that's what I have to focus on. I have to see, I have to, that's where I camp. 
You see how, how different we have to think? Y'all, if we live like this, how different? Hallelujah. Praise be to God. I just, I just want to tell this story. I don't know why. And it's the story about Al. I don't know why, Al. Al, are you still back there? Did you leave? It's, I'm going to close with this. Al shared this on a Wednesday night. That's why I feel free telling you because he told it publicly. It's one of my very favorite testimonies I've ever heard of Good News Church, and I have heard some really wonderful testimonies. But this testimony, I just loved it because it just so encapsulated how we are different than the world and how we're to live in a different place. But Al works, is it at Club Car you work? He works out at Club Car. And one morning he was running late to work. He was running to the office Getting, getting to the plant, wherever it is he works. He's going, and they have a practice. You know, probably it might be like this, where you, where you work, where you may have to scan in, you know, have a card where you scan in for security purposes. But if you and a bunch of your people all come and approach the door at the same time, you just all go in together. You don't let one person in, the door closed, the next one scan, then, you know, the next person. You know. So that's not what they do. They just, if they all get there at once, they just all go in together. You hold the door for each other. That's their standard common practice. So he gets there and he's running late. And he's hustling, trying to get in. And there's another person there going in. And she's an older white woman. And I don't know if y'all know this about Al, but he's a black man. And so, (laughs) well, I didn't know if people knew. Frank, I had, some people say they don't see color, but whatever that's about. But anyway... He's going to the door, and this woman's a couple of steps ahead of him, and she's late too. She gets to the door, she scans her card, and she opens the door to go in, and she knows somebody's behind her because she's been hearing them, and so she pulls the door, and she opens the door, or she she goes through the door, and she pushes the door and holds it open for the person behind her, like you would do, like they do all the time. So she's holding the door open, and then she looks up, and her eyes met Al's. And when she saw Al, she didn't know him. But what she did know is there's a black man. And she's an older white woman. And let's be honest. Can we get real right here at the very end? There's some older white women that in their mind, they need to be afraid of black men. Because that's the course of this world. And so she sees a black man coming. She was holding the door for whoever was behind her until she realized, oh, a potential threat. And so looking at him, it's just such a weird moment. I'm, I'm, I was right there with him when he's telling the story. She just moves her arm and the door closes. So she just like, and he almost hits the door. And now he's got to fumble around, get his card, go in. No, I mean, a mild inconvenience. But it wasn't the inconvenience, it was the message. Here's starting your day with that, really, again. And honestly, if you knew Al Shorter, you would realize how utterly ridiculous the very thought that he's a threat of any kind. Sorry, Al. (laughs) But I'm telling you, Teddy Bear doesn't even come anywhere near, you know, this man. But I've experienced of him, you know, just come on. And so she goes on in, and they go about their day. He didn't know her. He didn't work near her, didn't know anything about her. 
So later on that day, they go into where they have lunch. And when he walks into the room to have lunch, he's walking along and he looks on the floor. And there on the floor is $20. It's a $20 bill. And he leans down and he picks it up. And he looks around. And he says, did somebody drop a 20? And people are busy and they're like, no, no. Well, if, if you looked around and said, did anybody drop a 20? And they said, no, no. If it was you were following the courts of this world, what would you do? The favor of God. <laughs> right? That would, then that would have been your testimony. But not Al. See, I'm telling you, Al, Al's a different guy. So Al goes around from table to table and says, who was standing over there? Who, who was the last person in here? Who was over there? They're going, well, I don't know. I don't. Finally, somebody pipes up and says, and I'm just going to give her a name, Mrs. Rich. Oh, I'll give her a different name because that one just popped up in this. Mrs. Miller. Okay, Mrs. Miller, that was where she was standing. Joan Miller. She was standing over there. And, and he goes, Joan Miller, I don't know her. And he says, anybody here know Joan Miller? And somebody piped up from over in the corner and said, yeah, she works down in the so-and-so department. He goes, okay, okay. And so he doesn't know that it's hers. All he knows is she was the last person standing in that area. So he takes his time on his lunch break to go hunt down Joan Miller to ask her if she lost his 20 bucks. So he's going through, finding his way, routing through. He gets down to the department and he goes in and he goes, hi, I'm here to see Joan Miller. Okay, well, she's over there. Okay, hi, I'm here to see Joan Miller because she's back there. Okay, I'm here to see Joan Miller. And when he says this to an older white lady, she turns around. Guess who it is? It's the woman the door in his face. She's Joan Miller. And he says, hi, I was in the lunchroom and I found this $20 and they said that you were standing there. Is this yours? It's all happened on the same day. What are the chances of that? That is how you overcome evil with good. Now I'm telling you all this story here. I don't think Joan Miller's here today. But I can guarantee you wherever Joan Miller is, she remembers that day. And I think that day, something happened inside of Joan Miller. I think that day, she saw, hey, maybe what I thought about black men being a threat, maybe that doesn't apply to every black man there is. That day, God used Al to overcome evil with good. You see what I'm saying? This is what we're talking about. This is who we are, people. We're people that bear his image. Maybe we don't fully look like him today, but you just hang around because that transformation is happening. Because what we're doing is we're reading his word and we're saying to ourselves, what is he saying to me? What is he revealing about who I am? Holy Spirit, work in me. Come out upon me. Manifest this in my life. Father, I thank you that you are working in me and you're giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases you. Enable me to do this. Enable me to overcome evil with good. Enable me to forgive. Enable me to to take no account of a suffered wrong. Enable me to love people that I can't find a thing about them to love except that, that they're people and you made them and so therefore they're incredibly valuable. 
Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to let you off the hook now. I've kept you away long enough. Let's stand. <laughs>